Um, like I said earlier, it's great to have Steve back with us. Yes, uh, and I think it's just good to acknowledge him and Charlotte. Charlotte's been coming on and off. It's great to have Steve back with us. Also, I want to acknowledge the um, Saturn Church with us. Um, if they can stand, if they can stand, the Saturn Church members. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, where you guys over there? I saw some of you. Can you also stand? Yeah, what was he over there? Yeah, come on, Nathan. What are you doing? Aha. Uh -huh. Come on, let's just welcome them proper. Excellent. Uh, they're going to be with us for a few months, um, uh, just uh, getting some fellowship, and then we will be releasing them again into another realm of glory and authority and power. Amen. I'm not sure if, oh, yeah, it's also good to have Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Whittle. Can you stand, please? Can you stand? Can you stand? Todd and Jenny. They, 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 they got, you're married. You're married. They got married. Uh, ma they get married uh, tomorrow. They get married tomorrow. Tomorrow. So what was that phone call about then? Okay. All right. I just made a big blunder. Uh, I'm being prophetic, you see. Uh, it's next week. We'll do this next week. Okay. All right. We will. All right. No problem. I've been totally um, confused. But uh, God is not the author of confusion. I won't say Todd is Joseph is. No, Todd gave me a phone call yesterday. Uh, he wanted me to do something. And uh, uh, yeah, so that has confused me. But uh, praise the Lord. Anyway, why don't we just quickly go to the Bible? It's always the safest. So next week, we will try again, all right? <laughs> Amen. Jenny, sorry. Oh, man, Lord have mercy. Please don't leave the church, please. Okay, uh, we're going to begin a, a new series that I have entitled, When the Church Prays Together. I want, to, I want to do this for the next three weeks. If I don't finish it in three weeks, then I'll use the rest of this month. And so we're going to start, we're going to talk about when the church prays together. Every year, I like to focus on prayer as the Holy Spirit leads. Um, and so some of you may say, ah, come on, Joe, we've heard it all. Prayer, you're always talking about prayer. So what, what is a new thing you're going to tell us that we don't know? Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is good. Prayer is this, that, and the other. Whatever. Let's look at it. I think you're going to be blessed by a few things that you don't know or that you need to be reminded of. Uh, Second Chronicles 7.14. So sorry, this isn't in the order of the notes I've given. Second Chronicles 7.14. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. I want you to observe the following seven things out of this verse. Number one, this is a declaration by God. God is speaking now to Solomon and it applies to God's people called by his name. In those days, they applied to the Jewish nation Israel and now it applies to the body of Christ. 
the people called by the name of the Lord, which is the church of the living God. That name is Yeshua or Jesus, Jesus Christ. So those called by his name are the ones that this applies to. You see, when you look at what is happening in the nations today, when you look at what is happening in society today, you may think, you may think that God is not in charge. Or you may blame those in authority, say the politicians and so forth. But actually, the reason why our nation is the way it is, I am convinced, is because the church, the body of Christ, are not fulfilling their responsibility. This declaration was God speaking to Solomon about what he will do for the nation when the nation is in turmoil, when the nation is under judgment, when the nation is in a situation where its enemies are attacking it, the environment itself is risen against it, and so forth. God says, if my people who are called by my name will do such and such, I will do such and such. So it applies to the people of God. Number two, in this verse, we see that true prayer is an act of humility. He says, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So true prayer is an act of humility because when we engage in prayer, we are recognizing our absolute need for God to take over. You see, prayer, true prayer I'm talking about, is not the lazy man's option. Any man or woman that is given to prayer, or let me put it like this, any man or woman that has been used by God in a tremendous way to manifest his power, to manifest his glory, has been an individual that has been given to prayer throughout church age. Any man, any woman given to prayer that God has, has been a person that God has used mightily in some form or another. If you look at the history books, there was one guy in the days of Mary, Queen of Scots, John Knox, and she said this, I don't fear the armies of England. I fear the prayers of John Knox. Because she knew that that man's prayer can affect her on the throne. Beloved, our prayers, the people of God, when we pray the way God has called us to, we have the potential to shape our society through prayer. True prayer is an act of humility. And there is a need for us to humble ourselves to pray. Third thing I want you to observe is this. Prayer empowers us to seek God's face. Prayer empowers us to seek God's face. He said, they humble themselves and pray and seek my face. What is the face of God? The face of God speaks of his favor. It speaks of his presence. It speaks of his honor, that which God places value in. There are scriptures where when God turns his face from you, it results in judgment. It speaks of the fact that when God turns his face from you, it results in his judgment. That's why you find that one of the, the blessings over the people of Israel is that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance. His gaze upon you and give you peace. That invocation of blessing demonstrates the need for us 
to enjoy God's face or his favor. God wants to favor our nation and the nations of the world. But the nations of the world and our nation and Western society has rejected God. It has rejected the ways of God. I lived in the, I'm a 65 child. I was born in 1965. 19, you know, boy. Some of you were at two, well, a few here are 2,000 people. You don't even know about 19. <laughs> and I was in school here and in Ghana and then uh, I got saved here. And I've seen how our nation has changed. Dramatically changed. Dramatically changed. And where now wickedness is celebrated as righteous in the church. I'm not even talking about the unbelievers. I'm talking about in the church. God's people, it's like our conscience about that which is wrong has been dulled. And God is now turning his face on many of his people. Contrary to what the popular preachers are preaching. I was saying to someone the other day, I believe honestly when the Holy Spirit looks at us, the Western church, we look like a phantom. We don't look real. We don't actually look like the real deal in terms of what the body of Christ is supposed to look at. And I shudder to think what he thinks about CLF. What he thinks about us. I'm not talking about the fact that he loves us through the blood and all of that. I'm talking about the experience of the holiness and the character of Christ that he can see when he looks at the church corporately. So, seeking God or prayer empowers us to seek his face. The fourth thing is this. Prayer involves acknowledging and turning from our wicked ways. When it comes to turning or letting God bring about revival, bring about a healing in the land, God's people have to acknowledge and turn from their wicked ways. In other words, you and I have to deliberately inspect our lives, like he said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith, test yourself, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you're disqualified? We have to examine ourselves and say, you know what, Lord? There is wickedness here. I see wickedness here. I see something going on in here that is an insult to you. And I want to turn away from it. And the fifth thing I want you to observe in this verse is this. God promises to hear the corporate prayers that meets those conditions. You see, there are many... Prayer movements, and, I'm, and, and please forgive me for what I'm about to say. There are many prayer initiatives that I honestly believe are a waste of time. It's just a whole heap of people gathered together to, to, to kind of um, massage each other, in my view. Because when we are not willing even to acknowledge sin, the sin of the church, I'm not talking about the sin of the nation. As for the nation, the whole world is under the sway of the devil. That's what the scripture says. The whole world is in darkness. I'm not talking about getting parliament to pray. Why, why should they pray? They don't know God. Or getting, getting, getting um, 
and people who don't even believe in God to pray. Why should they pray? But if the body of Christ, the church of the living God, was to take up their responsibility, if we took up our responsibility to pray, to seek God, to live the way he's called us to, beloved, we will become irresistible to the world when it comes to solutions. Yeah. We need a revival of prayer. I said we need a revival of prayer. We need to return back to basics. I am talking especially for those of us who've been in the faith for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years plus. Seriously. I don't know about you, but I am burdened when I look at how we, especially the stronger ones, are living right now. No burden for the lost. No burden for the church. No burden for the way the world is going. We respond to things just like the heathen do. I was telling my son and my nephews in, in the car as we were coming up, they should not behave like pagans. So many Christians behave like pagans. What's a pagan? Anybody who doesn't know God. Anybody who doesn't know God, you're either worshipping the God of money, you're worshipping the God of self, you're worshipping the God of, um, of career, you're worshipping the God of... You see, some people worship stones and, 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 uh, and uh, the wind, the wind and the sun. And some Christians worship money, which is just really from the sand as well. Money. And uh, what else do they worship? Pleasure. Pleasure. We worship pleasure. That's paganism. God promises to hear the corporate prayers of those that meet these conditions. Sixth point. Corporate forgiveness of sins, of the sins of God's people, is a prerequisite to experiencing blessings or healing in the land. You see, just because you have been born again and God forgives you as an individual, does not mean you are abdicated from your responsibility of our corporate sin. As a church, as a pastor, I know for sure that I will be held to account. And it terrifies me so much that in my prayer times before the Lord, I will weep and I will tell him, please forgive us. Forgive us. Because I know that we are not the way we are supposed to be. We're not even on ground zero. There's a corporate forgiveness that the church needs to experience. In order for the land that they live in to experience healing. He said, pray for the peace of the city that you are put in. For in its peace, you will find peace. I am praying that this month of prayer and fasting will not just be a program, but it will be a response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart. I really am. One of the things I felt the Spirit say to me was for this month is that just make it very simple. Make it very simple so that it's within the reach of everybody. Don't, and I felt very strong in my spirit, do not make a demand on them that you yourself find hard. And do not make a demand on them that they cannot do. But tell them to meet to pray on Wednesdays, on Fridays, and on Sundays. Because these are the days that your church meets to pray anyway. 
And those that cannot come to these prayer meetings, we are going to have a special thing where you can dial into the prayer meeting. So during the time of prayer between 7.30 and, and 9 in your, in your homes or wherever you are, you can dial in and be with us in prayer. And during the time of 10.30 and uh, 12 midnight on a Friday, you can dial in and join us in prayer. And if you want more details, they go on the website. Is that right? Or they come and see you. You send an email. So if you want an email, come and see, follow. Um, and uh, is that right? Am I right? Yeah. But that's what we want to do. And then on Sundays, we meet to pray from 10 a.m. to 10.45. And that is it. And then tell them just to fast whatever fast they can do. Miss a meal. Miss two meals. Miss three meals. Miss all the meals. Miss something. Somebody said, I will fast watching television. Do that as well and miss a meal. Or even if you can't miss a meal, downgrade the meal. Instead of chicken, rice, chips, jollof, uh, okra, spinach, all in that one meal, take out the spinach, take out the chicken, maybe remove the jollof, just have plain rice, rice and salt. You will still live. That's, there's enough sugar in that rice and salt to keep you going. Instead of, you know, uh, a BLT uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, whatever thing, a rack sack or something, just have dry bread. You, don't, you will live. If you are taking medication, you know, fast with us, but take some food. Have dry bread. Your medication does not differentiate between jollof and plain rice. Yeah. So don't hide behind your medication, you know. I would really join you as you're drinking that yogurt, uh, that milkshake. I would really join, but you know, I, I struggle with uh, uh, hypoglycemia. Eat plain rice that's got sugar in it. No salt, plain rice, and so you're fast. Amen. Say to your neighbor, he's talking to you as well. Not just me. Tell him, he's talking to you, not just me. <laughs> and then finally, seven point. The healing of our land is the responsibility of God's people, the church. It's the responsibility. You know, one of the things that this referendum really spoke to me about was that I was negligent on my duty as a pastor. Because I am, me, I, I like watching the news more than watching a film. I really am a, I'm a, I, I like news. I, I like watching those things. I'm old to now. I'm old. When I was younger, it would be an insanity. But now, I really like those things. But anyway, I realized that during the referendum, I was not praying for the government. And as a leader in the body of Christ, I have authority to pray for the government. I was not praying for the government the way I should. In fact, I was not praying for the government. I was just praying for the outcome. And I wasn't praying, Lord, let us leave or Lord, let us stay. I was just saying, Lord, have your way. But what I realized was, that as a church and as a pastor and as a man of God, I should have been praying for the cabinet and for the government, especially after the referendum. Because what the enemy is trying to do is to release confusion in the land. So now you're having people saying, let's, let's uh, do another referendum. That would be making a bad situation terribly worse. Because from that point, the minute the nation does that, 
anything, any other referendum, any other future decision will have no authority. So whether we like the outcome or not, this is what we have decided. And beloved, a nation gets the leadership it deserves. Yeah. So we as a church, I realize we have to pray. We have to take that responsibility and pray for this nation. That God will have mercy on this nation. This nation deserves to be judged more than Sodom and Gomorrah. Because what we're doing now, Sodom and Gomorrah, they knew what they did was wicked. Now the things we do, we claim it to be righteous. A Christian can have abortion and call it women's rights. This is my right as a woman. And the husband will say, amen. It's our right. But beloved, the right of a woman to choose must never negate the right of an unborn child to live. Yeah. But this is the insanity that our society is in now. And it is normal. And woe unto you if you speak like this. But there's a time coming we will be speaking like this. If I ever get the privilege to go on question time. If I don't know the answer, I just say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. And then when I know, I say, aha, this one, I can, I can speak. And we will speak. So, what are we talking about when we talk about the church praying together? The kind of corporate prayer that the church must be praying. What kind of praying? In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 7, our Lord gives a parable of a persistent widow. He says, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by a continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. What I want you to notice is that God, the Lord Jesus, uses this widow and types her to his elect, which is the body of Christ. And says that he will avenge his church, his people, who are crying out to him, Day and night, even though he bears long with them. You see, corporate, this is not an individual. We, we can use this for us as individuals, but this is the church corporately praying together for God to intervene into a situation. He says, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry day and night unto him? Day and night unto him. Man, we're even just struggling with day, yeah, alone night. Though he bears long with them. You say, why does God do that? I have some answers, but I don't know the whole reasons. I only know that in the wisdom of God, there are times where he delays. He delays an answer. There are some things that the Lord has delayed for me for over 20 years. And I was sharing it with one, one pastor, and he said, boy, that is a long wait. It is. But it's okay because he is God. Yeah. We've walked long enough with him to know that what appears to be a delay 
is the right timing. Just because I don't like it. So the, corporate, the kind of corporate praying we're talking about is persistent corporate praying. It's where as a church we are united to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying until we see what it is we need to see. Now, you see in the scriptures that at times God calls his people to corporate prayer and fasting. In Joel chapter 1, verse 14, Joel says this, Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred or a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Why? Because there was impending judgment. There was impending judgment. There had been a natural disaster of locusts, different types of locusts that are swept through the land and destroyed agriculture. And they were a type of the invasion of the Babylonians that was coming. There was a natural disaster that spoke, that was a prophetic act of what God was going to do and judge the nation because the nation has sinned. Western society will experience judgments that we have not yet seen. And I'm telling you, they will be horrible. But the church can do something about it. When we see what is happening in the Middle East, it looks far away. But I'm telling you, beloved, if we do not rise up and begin to pray, it will be in our very homes. I am really afraid, I'll be honest with you, I am afraid for Western society that I'm a part of. I have been privileged to be a Westerner, born in the West, lived in the luxury of the West, not experienced the ravages of poverty that Africa and some of these other nations go through. I've tasted a little bit and I didn't like it. Yeah, it's horrible. Proper poverty, not Western poverty, proper Western poverty, at least, you know, you can get, still get something from the government. You still, at least, you know, you can choose. You can choose sometimes some people. I'm not saying everybody, please. I don't know, need a PC coming after me after this. I'm not saying that everybody in the West is happy and there is no poverty. There is poverty. But, beloved, if you want to see poverty, go to Africa. Go to Africa, especially Africa. Some of the places where we planted churches, the people where we live, we, we hang around with, how we live with them. You know, this is poverty. You go for one week, it feels like one year. Yeah. But what is coming to the West? That would appear like paradise if we don't repent. I'm telling you. In Joel's day, the prophetic people were sharp enough to say, get a fast ready, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land. I wonder why gather the elders. Because at times, us who are older, oh, is this, a, is, this a, is this another fast? Oh, you know, when I was in this church, we always used to do it. We always used to do prayer and fasting. Oh, when, when is it again? Okay. Yeah, hold on. Uh, uh, I'm there in spirit. There in spirit. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 15. Sorry, from verse 12. I want you to look at it from verse 12 to 17. Joel chapter 2, from verse 12 to 17. Sorry. 
It says this, now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. It is not God's will to judge our nation. It is not God's heart to judge our nation. It's not God's desire to judge us and give us what we deserve. But he is a God of holiness and righteousness. And he needs to have a legitimate legal reason not to do it. And right now, there is none because his church is not doing what it's supposed to do. Verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. This is what I'm doing right now. I'm blowing the trumpet. I'm blowing the trumpet to this church here. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babies. Let the bridegroom go out of his chamber. Those of you who just got married, this is for you. Aye. And the bride from her dressing room. The bride. The bride. Can you imagine? The bridegroom is getting ready. The bride is getting ready and Joseph comes out. It's time to fast. It's time to fast. Stop all this partying. It's time to fast. Time to fast. Even the children have to get involved. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, kill your people. No, that's not what he says. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach or disgrace that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? We could spend a whole week on this, these verses, but just to say this point. He's calling the children. He's calling the elders. He's calling the bride and the bridegroom. But notice who he doesn't mention because it's a given. He's not mentioning the young men. He's not mentioning the young ladies, the handmaidens. He's not mentioning them. The reason why he's mentioning these people is because they are the ones who are unlikely to respond. The priests are unlikely to respond. The elders are unlikely to respond. Children are unlikely to respond. After all, they're children. Are you listening to me? We are, we are, we'll be quick to allow the bride and the bridegroom. No, come on, you guys are getting married. You're not included. But you are. Say to your neighbor, they're included. Tell them they're included. Yeah. Five more minutes and then we will conclude. Yeah. What am I saying? For the corporate prayer to have its proper resonance, all of us have to play a role. When the church prays together, you see, we are so used to individualism, me and my family, me and my walk with God, that we think we don't have a responsibility when it comes to the corporate prayer life of the church. If God puts you in a church, then you have a responsibility to that church. It's not just the pastor or the ministers or the workers. If God has brought you to this church or he's placed you in another local church, you have a responsibility there. You are to to identify with what God is saying and doing that. Because in its acceleration of blessing is yours. In its regression is yours. Remember when 
when Moses, when um, Israel was fighting Amalek, and Joshua and Israel were fighting against Amalek, and Moses went up to the, the top of the mountain and was at the hill and was watching the fight. And as he lifted up his hand, Joshua and Amalek, um, Joshua and Israel prevailed. Joshua is a type of Jesus, and Israel is a type of the church. When Moses lifted his hands, they prevailed. When Moses' hands went down, Amalek prevailed. You say, how can Amalek prevail against Jesus and his church? Very simple. Legal right. If the enemy has a legal right over the people of God, it doesn't matter. Even if God doesn't want it to happen, it will happen. Beloved, you have a role to play. The, the way Joshua was, and Israel were able to defeat Amalek was when Aaron and her held the hands of Moses. You are Aaron and her. You are the ones who hold up the hand of Moses so that what God wants to do amongst his people can be done. Yeah. Everybody has a role to play. And you need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. In this month of prayer and fasting, I want to equip you on how we pray together. We're going to teach you on how we pray together. Because many people, how they pray corporately and how they pray privately, there is no difference. There is a big difference according to the word of God. So that the prayers can be effective. You're going to have the opportunity to pray together. And I want to encourage every one of you to respond. Every one of you to respond. We're going to pray. Let's bow our heads. It's a call to pray together. When the church prays together, what happens? I want us to begin to act on 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. I want us to, I feel, to pray into a few things. Number one, those of us who for whatever reason want to acknowledge and repent of the sin of prayerlessness in their life. They want to say to God, you know what, Lord, I am sorry and I repent of prayerlessness. I'm not talking about your own prayer life. I'm talking about prayerlessness as a corporate body where you have not joined the church that you are a part of to pray. Where you have not seen it as your responsibility and you are saying to God, I repent. I want to embrace my responsibility. If that's you, stand where you are. We're going to pray into this. So I want you to respond where you know that you have not fulfilled your responsibility. And you are saying to God, you repent and you are going to respond. Stand where you are. As you stand, I want you to lift up your hands to the Lord. And I want you to tell him and acknowledge your sin and repent. Don't look at anybody. Acknowledge your sin and repent. Tell him. Father, I acknowledge my sin in this area and I repent and I choose to embrace my responsibility, however big or small, in praying. As you stand, I'm going to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, as these ones are standing, 
You know their hearts. You know why they're standing. I plead your blood on their behalf. And I ask for mercy and grace on their behalf. Lord, in the name of Jesus, as they respond to the prompting of your spirit, give them the grace to walk in the good of you. Give them the grace in the name of Jesus. I speak life and I speak strength and I speak grace into you that are standing. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. You may take your seat. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray into another area and then we're going to receive the, we're going to take communion. So I want the communion elements to be prepared. I want you to look at your life right now in the area of prayer. For some of us, we need a revival of prayer. Now this is different from what I've asked you to just stand for. Where you see in your life, you need a revival of prayer. You need a revival of prayer. If that is you, stand where you are. You're saying, God, I want a revival of prayer and I need a revival of prayer. And as you stand, I want you to begin to ask God to touch you in this area. Ask God to touch you. Tell him right now. Close your eyes, lift your hands and tell God, revive me in the area of prayer. Revive me in the area of prayer. Revive my life in the area of prayer. Tell him right now. I want the ministers to bring the communion element to the front. Consecrate yourself to the Lord. We're going to bless the bread and the wine. And then we're going to serve it. As you talk to God about the area of prayer. Father, we bless the bread and we bless the wine. We're going to serve you as we are praying. And then when everyone has been served, we're going to take the bread and the wine together. So Father, we bless this bread and wine. And as we approach the communion table, we ask that you will help us to prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Serve them, brothers and sisters. And as you are standing right now, I want you to remain focused. We are looking at prayer, our prayer lives. They need to be revived in prayer. I don't know about you, but after 30 two years of pressing into prayer. I've walked with the Lord for 34 years. But for 32 years, I've been pressing into prayer. I still find it hard. I still find it hard. I still find I need grace to pray. Whether I pray for half an hour, one hour, one and a half hours, two hours, three hours, I still find I need grace to pray. So I want you, as you are standing there, to ask the Lord to give you the grace to pray. To give you the passion to pray. I'll never forget in 1984, when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, that I had the spirit of prayerlessness. And I said, oh, take it away. Give me the spirit of prayer. From that point, my life changed. And I pray you receive a greater miracle than what I did. That your lives will change in the area of prayer. Because it's through that revelation, that encounter, that everything else that has come out of my life has come out. 
and everything else, whether it's my family, whether it's my friendships, whether it's my ministry, it's through the dynamic of my walk with God, my prayer life. So as we serve you with the bread and the wine and as you are praying, I'm going to ask God to give you grace in the area of prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these precious ones that are standing right now. I ask, oh God, for the grace to pray, for the hunger to pray, for the passion to pray. Help them to become addicted to praying, addicted to your presence in such a way that they become more like your son, our Lord Jesus. Drive them by your spirit into your presence. Transform them in their DNA when it comes to the area of prayer. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you. Take your seats. Just keep waiting on him. Take your seats. As we serve you with the bread and the wine, this is a very important ordinance that the Holy Spirit gave us through our Lord Jesus. This ordinance of the bread and the wine must be taken by those who are born again. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, do not take it. If you are living in deliberate sin, before you take it, repent. If there is in your heart something you have against somebody, forgive them before you take it. Release them in your heart before you take it. Bless them in your heart before you take it. But as a child of God, do not say, I'm not taking it. Unless you are under some kind of spiritual discipline and you've been told not to take it. Otherwise, you should take it. It's one of the things that as you do it in faith, strengthens your spirit. That's why we're doing it every week. It is as vital as prayer and as preaching and teaching the word. Over the years, we have been negligent as a church, but as your pastor, I have decided we will no longer be negligent. We will observe this every week. And even sometimes we will observe it twice, three times a week. In our cell groups, we should observe it. In our homes, we should observe it. With our friends, we should observe it. It's so important. Has everybody been saved? If you have not been saved, brother, why could you raise your hands over here, please? need bread or wine, could you raise your hand so that we can see? It's over here, please. And at the back there. Bread or wine, keep your hand raised so that we can see you, please. In the middle there, in here. On your left as well, um, Andrew, behind you. Why don't we rise to our feet? We're going to take the bread and the wine. We're going to bless the bread. Every time we take the bread, we are acknowledging that we are part of the body of Christ. And we are making possible the 
power, the healing power that is in the stripes of our Lord to make us whole. So Father, we take this bread and we remember the death of our Lord Jesus. As we eat this bread, we declare that our Lord died and is risen again. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. take the wine together. Father, as we drink this wine, we recognize the blood of our Lord Jesus that was shed for us. Father, as we take of the wine today, we ask that the power that's in the blood of our Lord will continue to cleanse us from all sin. In Jesus' name, let's take the wine together. As the ministers take back the um, communion cups let's just worship the Lord sing it out to him 